encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn to them to Matthew chapter 6, which will be our text for today as we continue our series entitled Teach Us to Pray, uh, where we are looking at the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus uh, gave to his disciples. You can find it both in Matthew 6 and in Luke uh, chapter 11 which is where we get the title for our series. That's where we actually hear the disciples say, teach us to pray, uh, where they're coming and asking Jesus. They, they see that John taught his disciples to pray a certain way. The, the other rabbis and Pharisees taught their disciples to pray in a certain way. And they said, well, hey, we belong to you, Jesus. We need you to teach us to pray. And so Jesus does, and he gives them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we are going to Matthew 6 this week, however, uh, so that we can see the fuller uh, version of that prayer. And, uh, and so when you find it, I will invite you to stand again uh, as we read this together today. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, and continuing through the prayer to the end to uh, verse 15. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. Uh, we'll read it together. At the end of that reading, I will say that this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to respond by saying thanks to God. Let's begin. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray to the gods and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. What an awesome thing it is to be able to come here today to receive God's word, to hear it in our own language, to be able to understand it because of the gift that we have been given in education. Um, and to be able to truly lift up a praise to the Lord upon hearing it by saying simply, thanks be to God. What a privilege. A privilege that uh, we are indebted uh, to the Reformation for. Um, I encourage you in your own lives today as the rest of the world celebrates uh, Halloween um, that you remember the great gift that we've been given 
through the working of God uh, in faithful men and women uh, who God used at the time of the Reformation to uh, bring uh, revival to the church uh, that went beyond uh, a emotional response but into a deep uh, change in the culture uh, not just in Germany or in England but spread throughout the whole world and we are recipients of that today we are in fact Protestants we are still protesting um, believe it or not uh, and, and here we are today and what a gift it is that we have received so praise God for that Amen, Amen. Amen. Uh, Today we are continuing as I said our series entitled Teach Us to Pray and we're looking at this prayer uh, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples and by virtue of us having it recorded for us he uses, Jesus uses this prayer to teach us today, presently. Um, I want you to hear that. Jesus is teaching us today through this prayer. Not me, but Jesus through this prayer is teaching us how we ought to pray. I wonder, have you ever wanted to learn how to pray? Or have you felt like you didn't really know how to pray? Uh, this is something that Jesus gives us so that those of us who have felt that way, I have felt that way, even though I've spent my whole life in church, there have been times where I'm like, do I really know how to pray? Or have I just mimicked and parroted what other people have said and done? Now, to be fair, that is a very effective and useful way to learn and to teach. Uh, we teach our children through mimicry. We we uh, talked about several weeks ago how we use uh, the song, the ABC song, to teach our kids. Before they understand even what words are, we teach them this song, and we give them a structure that will later uh, be very useful to them as they begin to put words and sentences together. And so this prayer is like that for us. We are given a very simple structure. Uh, whereby we may learn prayer. And it's my prayer that as we apply ourselves to this teaching tool given to us by Jesus himself, that we may use it not only to pray the Lord's Prayer as it exists on its own, but also to expand our own prayers to God beyond the words of this specific prayer by following not only the pattern of prayer, but also the ideas attitudes and the internal posture that is represented in this prayer. Praying uh, with hearts full of faith, believing that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. And remembering, even as we pray these words, as we pray, may your name be hallowed, May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Would you give us our daily bread? Would you forgive us our trespasses? Would you help us as we forgive others? That as we pray these words, we would remember that His no can and has stopped the sun. And His yes can and does raise the dead to life. 
And so that as with all we do in our collected and gathered worship, from the first amen of the collect to the celebration of the Eucharist as well, as in our own individual and personal devotion, as it were, as Jesus says, going into our own closets and shutting the door and lifting up our prayers for an audience of one instead of an audience of whoever will listen. That all of these things must be filled with faith in order for it to be done not as mere rote or full of vanity. In order for it not to be vain, it must be filled with faith. We must approach God with faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him, as the preacher in Hebrews says. Repetition alone does not make anything vain. It is repetition that is empty and void of full faith that can make anything vain. A lover will never tire of hearing those simple words, I love you, when they know that they are uttered not only with the lips, but also with the heart. Is that not true? But let those words be said without heartfelt devotion, and they will fall by dead weight to the ground and mean nothing, no matter how many times they are uttered. Yes? Amen. Amen. And God Himself expresses His disdain for this kind of vanity. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. This is something that Jesus Himself will quote later on in the very gospel that we're reading today. You see, it is not enough in the end to only utter the words. It is not a spell, but it is a prayer, a simple prayer. And even a simple prayer, prayed in faith, repeatedly, even verbatim, out of deep need and devotion to God, is not to be rejected by us, nor will it be rejected by our Father in heaven. Whether it is prayed by the youngest or the oldest member in the body of Christ. And so today we're going to look at the third petition in the Lord's Prayer, which is that third petition is that one that requests of God that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. This is the third and final of what are called the upward petitions. You'll notice that thus far in the prayer, we have actually not requested anything necessarily for ourselves. Now, to be sure, God's kingdom coming, His name being hallowed, His kingdom coming, and His will being done, make no mistake, benefits us. It does benefit us. We are beneficiaries of His name and His kingdom and His will. For if it was not for the glory of His own name and the expansion of His own kingdom and for His will being done, Him, him being committed to His own will being done, not one of us would be saved. And so make no mistake, we are great beneficiaries of His name being hallowed, His kingdom coming, and His will being done. However, in this prayer, we have not actually turned our attention to ourselves, 
Because even in praying your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done, we are not praying so that we can receive blessing, but so that God Himself would be glorified. And so these are called the upward petitions because the focus is not directed at ourselves, but rather to the glory of God Himself. And so these upward petitions are directed with purpose towards those things that are in accordance with the upward purposes of the glory of God, the glory of His name, his kingdom, and lastly today, His will, as we pray, Thy will be done. Now before we ever get to talking about God, and talking to God about what we want to be done, we are praying that the things that He wants to be done will be done. And, and that's what it means. Thy will be done. God, those things that You want, let those things be done. We are also, by praying this first, recognizing that there are times when God's will may come in conflict with our will. In fact, we should expect that to be the case. For His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is infinite and we are finite. And there are going to be times, beloved, in our own lives where we think we are wanting and desiring the right things but when, in fact, those things may come in conflict with God's own will. And so, right from the outset, we are saying, God, no matter what we want, let what you want be done. Now, it's not only thy will be done, is it? The full petition uh, comes with a qualifier, doesn't it? What is it? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Let me ask you, how is the will of God done in heaven? Think about it just for a moment. I'm not necessarily expecting uh, a verbal answer, but think about that for a minute. How is the will of God done in heaven? It is done without question, pretense, or the smallest hint of rebellion. In fact, there has only ever been one rebellion in heaven, and that rebel was struck down and fell like lightning from heaven. So God's will being done in heaven, how is it done? It's done without question, without, without a second thought, without pretense, without the, the smallest hint of rebellion. God's will is always executed as it is desired, as it is intended, to its complete and fullest extent every single time. But is that how God's will is done on earth today? The answer is, is no. No, it is not the way that God's will is done on earth today. Often here on earth, and more importantly in our own hearts, my own included, God's will is met with questions. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want? Because I don't know if you've noticed, that doesn't really line up with what I want. It's met with question. It is met with pretense. And yes, often even rebellion. 
So as with praying, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, and thy kingdom come. We must not come with eyes of judgment, only looking out at the rest of the world, but rather we must first come with humility, praying, do it in me, Lord. May your name be hallowed in my own heart. May your kingdom come in my own life. May your will be done in and by me. Otherwise, we fall prey to becoming like that Pharisee that Jesus talked about coming into the temple to pray. And he stands in the presence of the tax collector who is so humbled before the presence of the Lord that he falls down on his face and dare not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but says, Be merciful unto me, a sinner. Meanwhile, the Pharisee lifts up his hands and prays and says, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector here. It is not enough to be upset by the rebellion that we see in the world and in others. We often feel justified in that. And we don't have to go very far. We can turn on the news, we can look at social media, we can look around at the scope of our own context and culture and our own community and city, and we can see plenty of places where we know it is blatantly obvious that the will of God is not being done without question, without pretense, and without a hint of rebellion. And it is easy for us to point our fingers in those ways and at those places and at those people and say, shame on you, you ought to be doing the will of God. But it's not enough to be upset by the rebellion that we see in the world and the others. We must first see and be repulsed by our own rebellion against God and how our flesh so quickly at times betrays our heart and our first true love. Again, as it was with the first two petitions, there is a similar dynamic going on where we are asking for this to be done. But I ask you, is there ever a time when the will of God is not ultimately accomplished. Now, there may, it may be met with question. It may be met with pretense. It may even be met with rebellion. But is there ever going to be a day where God's will will actually be thwarted? And the answer, of course, as we know from Scripture, is, is no. Now, depending on how you were taught growing up, this may seem like a more difficult question than it is. Is there ever a time when God's will is not done? I grew up being taught that, yes, of course there are times when the will of God is not done. I was taught that there is God's perfect will, there is God's permissible will, and then there is that time when God's will is not done at all. But in Scripture, we find that there are two ways to see and understand God's will. Or perhaps better stated, there are two ways in which we experience God's will. This is divided into what theologians call God's hidden will, on one hand, and His revealed will, on the other. God's hidden will, sometimes referred to as God's decreed will, is that will that is in mind in the Westminster Confession of Faith states in chapter 3 that God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. We can see the truth of this statement in Scripture in Ephesians 1, 
verse 11, Romans 11, verse 33, Hebrews 6, verse 17, Romans 9, verses 15 and 18, James 1, verse 13 and 17, 1 John 1, verse 5, Acts 2, verse 23, Matthew 17, verse 12, Acts 4, 27 and 28, John 19, 11, and Proverbs 16, 33, to name a few, but not all. And so if you like a good exercise, I encourage you to go back to the recording at some point, write those things down, and look those up, and do a quick study on how we can see the sovereignty of God's foreordination of all things. Now this aspect of the will of God, as I've said, often called the hidden will of God, is something that in our own experience can only really be seen in the rear view mirror, so to speak. We see it only as it unfolds in space and time and history. This is why it is called hidden. We can look back and because it took place, we can know with certainty that it stands under God's sovereignty. And God in His sovereignty has allowed certain things to take place which are not under His blessing or have not received his stamp of approval, but rather these things have been allowed to take place so that his glory and his grace might be magnified. The cross, of course, being the supreme example of this. Taking one of those examples that I listed from Scripture earlier, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. One of the most important, in my opinion, not to elevate one portion of Scripture above the other, but supremely for us and for our salvation. This is important to understand. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Peter, the apostle, preaching on the day of Pentecost. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of of lawless men. Here we see both God's foreordination in this uh, crucifixion of Jesus, a part of God's plan, and yet done by men. Not because God was pulling strings and dictating their actions like a puppeteer with marionettes, but rather these men did only that which was exactly in their evil hearts to do. They did what they wanted by crucifying our Lord. And yet, God was sovereign over that completely. But this is not the will of God, the hidden will of God, that we are praying for in this third petition. Of course, we will know what God is foreordained as and when it happens. And when it happens, we will know God ordained that. That was His will. It was in His hidden will. But when we pray, Thy will be done, we are not praying the obvious. We are actually praying for that second uh, part of God's will that we refer to as the revealed will of God. We are praying for what theologians call the revealed will of God in the third petition. 
The revealed will of God is that will which we see revealed in Scripture. Most especially in things like the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law or the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is showing us that mere external obedience to God's law without willing hearts is not obedience to God's law. That willing hearts are required to be obedient to God's law. And so the revealed will of God is made up of those things which we know have received the stamp of God's approval because He has told us to do them. Do this, He says, even as we receive the Old Testament reading this morning. That's what that was all about. God revealing His will to His people. Do these things. Walk in these ways. Bind them so to you. And so to pray thy will be done is to pray that God would make us willing to be obedient to His will. Now this is only possible if our hearts have been changed. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 speaks a truth, a truth that is hard to receive. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But hear me, beloved, this is the state of our heart apart from Christ. God wants to change that reality for us. When we come to faith in Christ, trusting that His life of obedience and His death in submission to the will of the Father was for us, that He takes all of our sin and gives us all of His righteousness. While there is a legal declaration that is made in that exchange, it is more than a legal formality. There is a deep and mystical spiritual reality and change that takes place that so alters and changes us. <coughs> Excuse me. So alters and changes us that Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is not merely altered, He's not merely changed. He's not merely better. But he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation entirely. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How is this possible? This is what God declared by the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, when he says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. When we come to Christ in faith, and we are made a new creation, that wicked and deceitful and evil heart is replaced with a new heart. A new heart that is by the indwelling of the Spirit and the Word of God able now to actually want what God wants. What a beautiful thing. 
We can pray that God's will will be done in our own lives because God has given us a new heart that is able to want what God wants. Where before, all we wanted was sin. Even when we wanted to do things that God himself would say are good and right and true and beautiful, before Christ, we did not want to do those things for his glory. We wanted to do those things because of what it would do for us. The heart that seeks the will of God is a heart that seeks to want to do the things that God wants done, not for what it can do for me, but for the glory of God. And the new heart that God gives us wants that, is able to want what God wants. Now we can want what is good and right and holy and true, not so that we can stay out of trouble or so that we can look good in the eyes of the world, but because we want to please our Father who is in heaven. Now sometimes, even with the new heart, we battle the old flesh, don't we? But that is our flesh and not our new heart that God has given us. Our flesh betrays our hearts by enticing us to fulfill its desires rather than to obey God. This is exactly the struggle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. When he says, the good I know I ought to do, I don't do. The bad I know I ought not to do, I do. Who can save me? He says, a wretched man that I am, who can save me from this life of death? This is the battle that we have. But as believers in Jesus Christ who have been redeemed by His blood and been indwelled by His Spirit, we have received a new heart. Which is why walking in a manner that is not worthy of the gospel is contrary to our new identity. We are not living according to who we are in Christ, having received a new heart, but we are returning to the paths of the old man. And those are the paths that we are uh, commended to reject. I want to tell you just a quick ghost story. Now don't tell them this. Three of them are here today, so they'll hear them this. But don't tell them this. My kids are really good most of the time. But please don't tell them that. Antoinette and I are truly blessed. And we are very proud of our kids. But every once in a while, one or more of them uh, go rogue. Sometimes in our house, when it comes to disciplining our children, my wife and I talk about wanting to be the good guy or needing to be the bad guy or about good cop, bad cop situations. There are times when my children have been asked to do something by their mother that they have decided, for whatever reason, to just completely disregard. They do not yet understand that not doing what mom has asked them to do is tantamount to saying, I don't love you. But regardless, they have decided that they would rather do what they want instead of what mom wants. And then at times, in those times, I am often called on to reinforce what has been asked of them. 
something interesting happens. Dad comes in, and I can ask them to do the same exact thing that their mother has asked them to do. And the response is not for them to disregard what I say, but often for them to quickly jump up and go and do what I have told them to do. Even though it is exactly the same thing that Antoinette has just asked them repeatedly to do. Is this because they love me more than her? No, and don't tell my wife that. I'm just kidding. No. No matter how the enemy may try to get my wife to believe it, that is not the case. Unfortunately, it is not for love that they do it for me and not for her, but rather for fear. Fear of punishment. Do we reward them when they jump up and do what they had already been asked to do out of love but now are doing it out of fear? No, we do not. Because this is not the kind of obedience that brings life to a household. What we want for our children and the kind of obedience that does bring life to our home is when it occurs, this kind of obedience occurs when our children obey just because they love their parents and want to do what pleases them. This is true in the Hooper home. This is true in your homes. This is also true in the kingdom of God. It brings no glory to God to have a bunch of His children running around doing the things that they know please Him without actually wanting to do it, but rather doing it because they are afraid of being punished. This is why it is so important that we not only do what is right, but that we actually want to do not just what is right, but what pleases our Father, because we want to please our Father, not because we are afraid of punishment. Or, conversely, there are times when my kids obey, not because they love us or because they're afraid of being punished, but because they want to look better than their siblings. We've got five. So it doesn't take all of them very long to understand when mom and dad are starting to get upset because someone's not doing what they ought to be done and someone will quickly jump up to go and do it. Not because they love mom and dad. Not because of fear of punishment, but because they know they do it right now. They might look better than their siblings. And we can be the same way. But beloved, not merely doing the right thing, but wanting to do the right thing, because it pleases the Father, this is sanctification. Not merely doing it, but wanting to do it please the Father because you love the Father. And guess what? When you, even as you pray the prayer, thy will be done, know this from 1 Thessalonians 4 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification is 
the will of God. And you wanting to do the will of God is your sanctification. These two things go together. This was Jesus' prayer for you in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. He goes on to say, your word is truth. So God's will is your sanctification. And you wanting to do the will of God is your sanctification. How do we know those things? We have to go to God's Word to understand what His will is. This is His revealed will. We find it in His Word. It does no good to pray, Thy will be done, and not seek to know what the will of God is. But if we are going to pray to God our Father, Thy will be done, we need to ask, what is the will of God? We have seen that His will is to sanctify us. Jesus prays that we will be sanctified in the truth and tells us through His own prayer that God's Word is truth. That is the truth that we need to be sanctified in. In other words, praying that God's will be done, but never seeking to know His will through reading and seeking to understand and apply God's Word is tantamount to saying that you want to be the most responsible driver in San Antonio, but never pick up read or seek to understand and apply the Texas Department of Motor Vehicles Handbook. Can you imagine? We've got a couple, I believe, young ladies that are beginning to learn how to drive. Can you imagine? If they said to the parents, I really want to be the best driver in San Antonio. But they never applied themselves to the handbook. Never learned what a green light or a yellow light or a red light means. Never learned what a dash in the road or two double lines mean. What a yield sign means. Or what a speed limit sign means. No matter how much they may want to be the most responsible driver in San Antonio, it will not come by osmosis. <laughs> Mostly because there are some really bad drivers in San Antonio. <laughs> but rather, what if they want, if that is their goal, what must they do? They must pick up that handbook, they must read it, seek to understand it, and apply its precepts to their driving. It's a simple illustration. But for our own lives, it is true. If we want to pray and really mean, God, thy will be done, but we never pick up his word and seek to know and understand what his will is, how will his will ever be done in our lives? Are we expecting that it will just be done by accident? By sheer luck? If we want the will of God to be done in our lives truly, then we must seek to understand what His will is from His Word and apply it to our lives. We learn God's will from His Word. When we are obedient to His Word as His revealed will, not out of fear of punishment or as a way to make ourselves seem better than others, but because we love the Father and want to please the Father, then His will is done on earth as it is in heaven in our own lives. There's something else I want us to tune into today. When we seek to do the will of God out of love for the Father, 
We are being like our Savior. We are being like Jesus. When we pray, Thy will be done with hearts full of faith and expectation of actually doing the will of God, then we are praying like Jesus. Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane lifts up this prayer, doesn't he? He prays when he taught his disciples to pray. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When we pray, thy will be done. When we recognize that there are going to be times when God's will conflicts with our own will, and yet still we pray, God, thy will be done. And we don't just pray because that's part of the prayer. We know that needs to be done. But truly, from our hearts, full of faith and with expectation that we will do his will as he reveals it to us, and we'll actually seek out to know what it is. God, I promise I'll do your will if you just reveal it to me. But I'm not going to open that door and try to find out what it is. No, if we will actually pray, wanting to do the will of God, then we are becoming more like our Savior. And is this not also the end of our sanctification? What is the point of our sanctification? God just wants us to be better people. No. God wants us to be His people. People who reflect His image in the way that we were meant to reflect His image before the fall. And there is only one who has ever walked this earth and done that perfectly. And it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is into His image, unmarred by sin, that the Bible says the Spirit is going to conform us into. That we would not be conformed to this world but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds to become more and more like Jesus every day. Christian, as you are called, little Christs, it ought to be your goal and desire that by the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, you might become a little bit more like Jesus every day. We do this by surrendering our will to the will of the Father. Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, the Son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. This was Jesus' whole life. His whole life was seeking the will of the Father. His whole life was lived in submission to the will of the Father. John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food, in some translations, my meat, that most, that most uh, viable sustenance of energy and, and portion, He says, my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. More than that, we cannot pray Thy will be done and mean it without also recognizing how often we fall short of doing the will of God. This can seem at first glance to be defeating. In my own personality, I might be tempted to say, good golly, if every time I pray Thy will be done, I'm going to be reminded of how often I don't keep the will of God. I don't think I'm going to pray that. 
It can be depressing. Luther rightly said that these words ought to cause us to choke on the words in light of recognizing how often we don't do the will of God. In light of our own desire to be the ruler of our own hearts and lives. But may I offer something to you today. That in each time that we realize our failure to do the will of God, we have an opportunity in that moment to be reminded that where we failed to do what was right, or to want even to do what was right, Jesus did what was right and wanted to do what was right for you. He did it for you. Every act of obedience, every moment of his life lived desiring the will and the glory of the Father. He did that for you. And he did it for me. And so yes, we pray that I will be done. And at once we are quick, and I believe rightly so, to recognize how we do not keep the will of God in our lives the way that we should. And God is gracious. Hear me, He is gracious to reveal that to us. But He is not the one that leads us from that place into depression. That is the enemy. That is the accuser. Rather, in that moment of recognizing that I have, once again, time after time, failed to keep and or even to want to do the will of God, in that moment I am being invited to turn my attention back to the cross of Jesus Christ and remember how that Jesus lived a perfect life for me and in my place and he died a death in submission to God to take the penalty for every time that I have lived in rebellion to God's will and not even just not doing it, not wanting to do the will of God. Jesus did and wanted to every time and He did it for you and for me. He did God's will on earth as it was in heaven. Without question, without pretense, or the smallest hint of rebellion. Jesus praying, God, if there be any way, let this cup pass for me, was not in any way Jesus rejecting the will of God. It was not in any way pretense or question or doubting the Father. For His heart truly was not my will, but Your will be done. And He did it all for the glory of the Father. And He did it as a substitute for you and for me. In praying to our Father, Thy will be done, we may remember when we have not. But for those covered by the blood of Jesus, God looks upon us and He sees only the obedience of His Son. In this way, we can see our faults and our failures happen. It's what some people have referred to as a Felix Culpa. 
You've heard people say, mea culpa, they do something wrong. Oh, mea culpa, mea culpa, it's just Latin means my fault. But Felix culpa, Felix means happy. And they're saying happy fall. Because for us as believers, when we fail, when we fall, we are being invited to renew our faith and hope and trust in the Jesus who paid it all for us. And God is not glorified by us wallowing in our failures. When, when we come and we stay there, we say, oh, I blew it again, you know. We sing that Britney Spears song. Uh, we, God's not glorified in us wallowing in our failure. But He is glorified even in the midst of our failure by us returning our gaze to the cross of Calvary and reminding ourselves that Jesus died even for this. Our faith is renewed. And instead of wallowing in depression, we are lifted up. And Jesus does truly become for us the glory and the lifter of our head. We can sing praise to God in the midst of our failures. Recognizing them, yes, as sin, but remembering as quickly and as immediately as possible that, yes, even this is covered under the blood and sacrifice of Jesus for us and in our place. God does not receive our words, thy will be done, with a, <laughs> sure, that'll be the day. Or, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. But he receives it as if it were from the mouth of Christ himself. He receives it as a father who's delighted in a child who wants to obey his father. And he wants you to succeed. He wants you to succeed in obeying Him for His own glory and for your joy. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Beloved, there are times when we know the right thing to do and we even want to do the right thing, but we feel powerless to do it. It is in those times that God is inviting us not to look to our own strength, but to see His strength made perfect in our weakness. To ask Him to come and give us the strength and the power to do both what we know and we want to do that is right. But let's be honest. There are also times when we know the right thing to do. And we even probably have the power to do it. Just don't want to. That's when the flesh is at war with the Spirit. And it's in those moments that we're being invited 
to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I know this is the right thing to do. I know that I should want to do this thing because it pleases you. I don't want to. And I need you to come and change my desires. Trust Him to do what He has promised to do. To work in you, both to will, that is to want, and to work, that is to do what He has called us to do. Surrender yourself to Him and pray, Thy will be done. And so we pray for ourselves. As I said, we must first in all of these things. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. First and foremost, we need to be looking here at home to say, God, may your name be hallowed in my own heart. May your kingdom come in my own life. May your will be done by me and in me. That is what I want. But there's another sense in which we pray this, isn't there? Because we do not pray, my Father who art in heaven. We pray, our Father who art in heaven. There's a sense in which when we pray this prayer, we are also praying with all the saints who are praying this prayer as well. And so we pray for ourselves, but we also pray for the rest of the body of Christ, the same things. God, would you, in my brothers and sisters at Redemption Hill, God, would you cause us together to want what you want? Would you help us in our failings? Not to wallow in, in depression and, and the lie of the enemy that we've blown it so we may as well carry on. But God, would you lift us up out of the mouth and the fire, set our feet back on the rock, God, so that we may look to your cross, be reminded of your gospel, and carry on, Lord, wanting to do your will even when we have failed. Or you can pray even as I have been praying for all of you a prayer that I was taught to pray uh, on my trip recently. God, may my brothers and sisters become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should by loving God and neighbor above all else and putting others' needs before my own. Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That astounded me to be able to pray that. Pray that other people will be holier than me. Yes. Pray that your brothers and sisters will want to want what God wants more than you. Provided that you will want it as much as you are. Pray for one another. May our brothers and sisters in Christ be so sanctified by the Spirit and conformed to the image of the Son that they not only do what is good, right, true, and holy, but want to do it with their whole hearts to please the Father. God, would you do it? Pray that for each other that the fear of punishment would be removed and that they and we would be so ruled by the Spirit and the Word that we would obey with gladness and joy. That's the second way that we pray that prayer. But there's also a third way. Even as the Thy Kingdom Come was an evangelistic prayer, so this prayer that God's will be done for it is prayed with that same expectation 
as we say, on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we mean first and foremost in me. As I pray, and I'm praying it for myself. But then I'm also praying it for the church. For First, for my local context. Yes, Redemption Hill. That extends beyond that to the body of Christ in San Antonio, in Texas, in our nation, in the world. God, would you come? Would you cause your people to want what you want in a way that they never have before? God, would you do that in us as the body of Christ? But then also, for yes, God's will would begin to be being done on earth as it is in heaven in those places where those people are. But is that complete? Is that the fulfillment of this prayer? Is that what we should want? Jesus, just where the Christians are, let your will be done? No. We should want for all of creation to not only be doing, but wanting to do what God wants to be done. And just pray with that same expectation that in all the dark areas, that those dark areas would be overtaken by the light of God's kingdom. And there would be glad obedience of all the earth. This is the goal and the eventual eschatological hope that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. That there will be a day when not only will the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, but heaven itself will invade earth and there will no longer be any rebellion here either. In longing for that day, may we pray with hope and joy and expectation, thy will be done. Amen? Would you pray with me this afternoon? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you as we move into a time of communion.